Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Eurograps Express. I'm your host, Leo David, and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. And we are actually going to talk about some proper British wrestling this time. It feels like for the last few weeks we've been shinny hon freaks, we've been hardcore legends with GCW, but we're going to dedicate this entire show to RevPro. My favourite promotion on the continent. I've made no secrets about that. Um, I'm not particularly loyal to them. They're my favourite promotion on the continent because they put out the best wrestling. But what's most important to me about Red Pro is that they put out wrestling that I can chew on, that really makes me think. And I don't always agree with what Red Pro do. There's often, and we're going to talk about that today for sure, there's sometimes booking decisions that I just think are bizarre. You know, Andy Quild and the booker and owner of Red Pro, he kind of has this penchant for American 90s wrestling. And I think we all do in some ways. But he sometimes has these really strange, bizarre ideas of wrestling that don't really fit with the company that he has created. And we're going to talk about some of those and we're going to chew on them. But like I say, I think it's worthwhile. This is something that I've done ever since I've been a wrestling critic. I started writing properly for Voices of Wrestling about five, six years ago now. And almost every year I've, I've taken a bit of a deep dive on something that Red Pro do, whether it was Red Pro as a whole or what they did with Great O'Khan or even what they did with Shota Aminu or how they dealt with the pandemic. 
And as I say, it always feels worthwhile. It always feels like a company that you can chew on because they never really patronise the audience, I don't think, or not intentionally anyway. I think sometimes Progress and other companies, there's that feeling that they can work us. And that's a very complicated word to use when you're talking about wrestling. Because on the one hand, it's a really positive thing, isn't it? You want to be worked. You want to uh, be made to believe things are real. And the best wrestlers can do that. I've talked before about my most embarrassing uh, moment where I got worked was when everyone was saying Okada had a slip disc. And I wrote in a review how well he wrestled with a slip disc. And obviously, he didn't have a slip disc, did he? I'm an idiot. I'm an absolute fool and a sausage. But, you know, I got worked. And I don't mind being worked. But what I mean by progress working us is that sometimes I feel like they think they can just sort of tick boxes and just say things and we'll believe it. Like with Cara Noir and that story that I absolutely railed on. They could just sort of tell us that this story is happening and it's ticking these boxes of story and then everyone says this match is four and a half stars. And I feel like people are being worked by that kind of attitude. And I think we should be better than that as wrestling fans. I think sometimes we forget that wrestling is very much a two-way street. And I think RevPro generally really understand that. They understand that for us to engage in what we're seeing, it has to generally be presented as real. And I'm I'm not knocking companies that do the fantastical or do the crazy. I think that's we're getting into sort of preference and, and style at that point. And I, I you know, I can talk about something like a Lucha Underground to use an archaic reference and say, oh, that's garbage. But really what I mean is it's not for me. And I often think about that, actually. I wonder what it is, because when I'm looking at other media and I'm looking at you know the books that I read and the films that I watch and the TV shows that I like, I always err towards the fantastical. I mean, I love The Wire and Sopranos and Breaking Bad and all those things. But it's Star Trek, <laughs> when Star Wars and Joe Abercrombie books, where my heart lies. You know, that's that's what I really, really enjoy. But with my wrestling, I don't want that at all, and I think it's because of that two way street thing. It's we are all agreeing to understand what's being presented as real, and RevPro kind of get that more than anybody. I think they wouldn't have a Cara Noir wrestle for them. I mean, they have Kid Lycos, I guess, So, you, but they wouldn't have a G-Money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just that just wouldn't fit. They've got a house style that is just is more attuned to what I want. So we're going to talk a lot about Red Pro. I'm going to talk about how we, we uh, are going to do that in a minute. But before we do, what I want to do is really encourage you to get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, which I'm, I'm sure you are anyway, because it's absolutely fantastic. But get in the Eurograps Express room. I'm really proud of that room. I think the Discord is really good and it's I think it's the best place on the internet to talk about wrestling. I'm obviously biased because I've I've written and, and done audio for Voices Wrestling for years now. But I really pride myself on the Eurograps Express room being the friendliest room on the whole server. And I've gotta be honest with you, we don't talk about wrestling a great deal, but what we do talk about is cheese. We talk about cheese boards. Uh, We have had a really good conversation about uh, mince pies, which I'm a big fan of. I love a mince pie. 
we talk about robot wars. We've talked about gladiators. If that sounds like your sort of thing, get in there. It's the friendliest place on the Discord, and I'm really proud of that, as I said. Um, we've actually, a friend of the show, SM North, has set up the Christmas challenge. We're going to do some sort of Christmas cracker comparison. And when I say Christmas cracker, long-time listeners will know. I don't mean the things that go pop and give you a hat. What I mean is the crackers that you have with cheese. Because it's 50% of what you eat every night. So you need to make sure you get it right, don't you? Right, anyway, I'm wittering. What we're going to do, we're going to talk about RevPro. And I'm going to sort of... Again, I'm I'm sort of viewing this as, yes, show reviews, but also a way of kind of examining them and seeing where they're up to. So we're going to look at it in two parts. We're going to have a look at pre-Jacob and give some thoughts on that. I'm not going to go match by match on everything um, since the 10th anniversary, which is the last time when we watched it, but just give some general thoughts on what I'm saying. We'll review the Jacob properly as a show, and then we'll examine the fallout. Because I think that's the best way for us to really get to grips with the booking isn't it? You know, I, I love talking about individual matches and I want to do that a bit and especially with the Jacob because I love it. But I want to I want to examine a little bit more long term and, and take a little bit more of a of a macro look at this. So let's get right to it then. We'll start with Live in London 65 at the, I nearly said at the cockpit, one day I will get over that. But we'll start with Live in London 65 and we'll see how they set themselves up for the British Jacob. The big thing that I've been really excited to examine is the fallout between the Oku and Mills thing. You know, Oku and Mills, long-time tag team partners, they hinted at the breakup for so long. And I said, the last time we talked about RevPro, that that story is one of the best stories I've ever seen in wrestling. And I feel sometimes almost awkward saying things like that. And I think it shows how much RevPro have punched above their weight. Because they're not a massive promotion by any means. They're big in relation to other companies on the continent. But they've managed to achieve something that I think not many wrestling companies can do. They told an absolutely fantastic story rooted in reality. To give sort of the Sparknotes version of what happened, Oku and Mills were tag team partners, but Oku was very much the star of the team. He was the one who got the big opportunities against people like Minoru Suzuki. He was the one that went to WrestleMania weekend. He was the one that had the glitz, the glamour, the five-star matches from Dave Meltzer. He was the critically acclaimed fan favourite. And he had this tag team partner, Connor Mills, who was just a little step behind. He was good, and no one is ever going to dispute Connor Mills as a wrestler, kayfabe or non-kayfabe. He's achieved a lot. But his main flaw, and this is how they presented it, his main flaw was not being Michael Oku. And this drove him mad. This ate up at him inside. That he thought that he was just as good as Michael Oku. And he deserved just as many opportunities and just as many accolades as he got. Yet he never got there. And they built in, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, but I read from it, so many of these great little parallels that Michael Oku would do double duty 
because he was given the opportunity against Suzuki. Whereas Connor Mills did double duty by winning a preliminary match to get himself in the main event in Manchester. Lots of little things like that just made it so relatable because absolutely every single person I know, and I include myself in this, obviously, has played second fiddle at some point. Everybody has in a, in, been in a situation with either a boss, a bandmate, or whatever it is. You know, you, you're thinking of your own situation now. You know, whatever applies to your life. There's a situation where you felt like you should have been higher up the ladder than you were. And what I liked about that is that they still existed as a tag team. Yes, there was tension between them. Yes, the, the, the was, it was awkward and, and there was friction at times. But it was realistic. You know, it wasn't a case of suddenly we just can't get along in the ring. And we knew they were building up to this 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 breakup. And it was coming and coming and coming and building and building and building. And it finally happened. And I said it was the best story I'd seen in, in ages. But the point we're at now with that story is we're almost at the difficult second album. You've got to follow it up. What are you going to do? Are you going to do Ride the Lightning? Or are you going to do Spice World? You've really got to examine this story now with a very, very different lens. Because you're telling part two of something. And I, I think this, this, it's not quite ended up the way I would have hoped, to be honest with you. So we started off this live in London 65 and it started off with Joshua James and, and, and Connor Mills. And obviously Connor Mills has a slower character now. And it really made me question in this story, would Connor Mills be a different person? Because the whole point of Connor Mills' assertion is that he was, as he was in that moment in the tag team with Michael Oku, he was just as good as Oku was. He was just as good, and he was successful, and he should have been given opportunities. But now he's coming out, and he's moving a bit slower, and he's doing a bit of the ha baddies, and we're starting to see things in his work, and this was consistent over the month or so that we're looking at. We're starting to see things like eye rakes and cheaty baddie moves. And that, to me, diminishes the story. It really puts cliché in a ta- in a story that really didn't have much of that cliche at all. And it was by telling a very stereotypical wrestling story without the cliche that made it so successful. The Live in London crowd for this one at 65, that they were they were very forgiving the Live in London crowd. Uh, it, it's, it actually, it's a funny one. In a lot of ways, they're really critical. They have a standard. And the Live in London shows, the working standard is, is as high as it is at York Hall because they know that that crowd go for that kind of working standard. But they're also, at the same time, they've got a little bit of that nouse about wrestling. So they will forgive things a little bit more. And if you want to be booed, they will boo. Or there's at least a few people there who are prepared to boo. I think the issue here is that we're examining his character and the thing with Connor Mills is he still does a lot of things in the ring that really take me out of his matches. 
The one thing in particular that I'm thinking about is the rope thing that he does. He does that kind of John Moxley flip back through the ropes and a leap forward, and it's so clumsy. And what they were trying to tell here in this story was that he was absolutely dominating Joshua James. Joshua James got in a lot of offense, but then when Connor Mills put the hammer down, he battered him. And Joshua James is a bigger man. He's clearly more intimidating than somebody like Connor Mills. And we were expected to believe that Connor Mills absolutely battered him. And he just he just couldn't quite put that across. Like I say, because of these moves like flipping back into the ropes. Also the fact that, like I say, Joshua James is massive. I don't really understand what's going on with him in the contenders division. I, I think from a the contenders are the equivalent of young lions, basically, but he's not a young man by anybody's standards, Joshua James. He's a really good wrestler. He's good enough to just have on your roster. The only reason I can think that they're keeping him a contender is so they can beat him like this. Because you can beat a contender and you get that restart, don't you? And this is one of the great things that Andy's picked up from Japanese wrestling, is that you can have somebody as a contender, beat them like or a young lion, beat them like a drum, and then you get this automatic reset, which really, really works. There was a promo at the end of the match, and... I can see what they're trying to do with this story. I can see the blocks of it. And actually, I really like it. The idea that was clearly given to Mills, or maybe thought of it himself, I don't know, but the idea being presented to us was that Mills knows the real Oku. That he comes out here and he waves and he smiles and he's the big blue-eyed babyface who's resilient. But actually, it's an all, it's all an act. And Mills gets this criticism for being serious and ruthless. But that's what Oku is. Except there's a, an element of, of of fakeness to Oku. There's an element of, of, of working people, of making them think he is a particular way. The problem was, is that Mills just couldn't really deliver it. He's not a great promo. And he this was a a big story to tell, I think. And he just couldn't quite tell it subtly enough. You know, I like the idea that, you know, Oku isn't the man that you, you think he is. And I saw that he had fire and passion, but there were things that he was saying that I'm going to expose you. And that's not what people do, is it? People don't think I'm going to expose this person. They think, well, I'm going to get rid of them out of my life and I'm going to be as successful as them. Like, I, I would get that. But I, I don't know. It just, it just, it was a fine story that just, just erred into the cheese here. And I'm going to say something that might be controversial here. Amira Blair came out, and she's Oku's girlfriend. I think in real life, as well. But she's certainly in the story. And I just don't really think she adds anything to it. I think she did with the Osprey match, and you know the idea of her trying to stop it and throw the towel in for him, and that sort of thing works. But she, that's just kind of played out now, and she's. She she's always just a little bit too over dramatic for me, and it, it it always takes it into an air of of Hollyoaks, which I didn't really like. We had Oku against Will Caven later on in this show, and Will Caven is someone who is absolutely being pushed to the moon, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, Oku sold this a little bit better because he's he's sort of selling the fallout from the story, and. He's a little bit more sedated. 
But this really made me think about how we tell these stories in wrestling. Because I don't know if people actually do that. When people suffer a big loss in a sport, say a boxer or an MMA fighter or even football players, whatever, I understand when they come out that their morale is lower, that they struggle to engage in the way that they did, and you could go on losing streaks, absolutely. And I understand that wrestling is a more immediate medium, that you're going to have to exaggerate things a little bit more. It's a little bit more theatrical than something like that. But I wondered if we're crossing the line a little bit here, and I wonder where that line is. How morose should Oku be? And I felt like, I, I don't want to say he crossed the line, but I felt like he, he was right on it here. Um, Caven's getting a push to the moon, and Caven won here. Um, I mean, this was this was a better match because you know, yeah, Caven uh, came close constantly, and Oku's Oku, and he could he could really fight back. <coughs> I think, excuse me, it was just a little bit clunky in the storytelling, and especially when Mills came out at the end. And the first promo, I think he just about got away with, but this one he really didn't because. He he was telling Oku to hit him, hit me, and and he and, and Oku didn't want to do it. Then Amira was in there overacting like she always does, and he was just a bit like, "You've made the point, and you told this story through the wrestling. Really, you didn't really need to have this really bizarre follow up where we, you know, where we we just sort of had this, like I say, Hollyoaks level acting, which just which just didn't really work. To be honest with you." It just felt a little bit, a little bit stupid. So I think that leads us nicely on to Will Caven himself, and he got a really big push for this, and it was clearly in preparation for the J Cup. And I'm not convinced about him yet. If I'm honest with you, I think that he's a really good wrestler. He does good wrestling, and like I say, he he's a little bit. Funny, isn't it, analysing someone when they're wrestling Michael Oku? Because obviously he is going to be amazing when he's wrestling Oku because he's wrestling one of the best wrestlers in the country. But there's just something about him that I think he needs to go back to the drawing board. And he got two big wins on the build-up. So he beat Oku and he beat um, Robbie X. And he looked good in both matches in terms of the work. But there's just something about his character and the way he looks and the way he carries himself that just needs a bit of a dose of reality he's a you know he's got pink hair he's got the number 13 on his trunks because he's dead edgy and he marches to the ring with a scowl like a baddie and I think that is a little bit tricky to do in a promotion like Red Pro it feels like he's playing a baddie and there were lots of times over this weekend where he'd do things that would just... We'll talk about this more in, after the J-Cup. But these little things that he did that would just heal 101. And as we go on through this month, we're going to start to see Andy kind of use these really corny heel tactics. And it, you can see that almost descent in Will Caven. Because with the Oku match and with the Robbie X match, they were just good matches. He did have really good matches. and There was things that needed refining. But it feels like as the month goes on that he goes too far the other way and he gets too quote-unquote heel. Which again, we'll talk about that more later. 
big, big push for Mercedes Blaze as well. And Mercedes Blaze is good. I, she gets a bit of stick online, I think. I see some people and hear some people being quite negative about her. I've only ever really seen her in progress before now. And I just thought she's all right. She's got that thing of, you know, she looks great. She looks terrifying. You know, she carries herself really well. She's got that confidence that's, that's really captivating. You can't sort of take your eyes off. She's very lean and very tall. and She's a bit clumsy sometimes in the way that she works. And that just gives everything a real sense of danger, which I really like. You know, the way she, she'll do these running drop kicks in the corner and she'll look like she's got no control over her body when she lets it go. And I, I like that about her. I think, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a safety nerd. So what this decided to do with uh, Mercedes Blaze, which makes a lot of sense, is they put her against Maya Matthews, and she beat Maya Matthews. Um, in a competitive match, Maya Matthews is clearly someone who Andy Quilden really likes, and I like her too. I, I see a lot in her. You know, she's got that good babyface fire. They're playing this story similar to what they're doing with Leon Slater, uh, where she's still learning, she's still finding her feet, but she's a raw talent. She's got something about her that, that that's captivating and, and she's there's suggestions there that she might be she might one day be great which is true but they're telling that as part of the in-ring story as well which actually i think is a pretty decent trick from andy's book he does that often is take something real and just tells it in the ring mercedes blaze beats her looks strong and then at risky business has a non-title match against Alex Windsor. And this is where it starts to get a little bit strange for me and where we're sort of moving away from traditional booking, where traditional booking would have served this story better. So Mercedes Blaze challenges the champion, but it's a non-title match. And then at the end, it's a competitive match, but, you know, it's a decent lead match, as you'd expect from Red Pro. And then at the end, she smashes Alex Windsor in the face with the belt and gets herself DQ'd. So Alex Windsor wins. And I don't really understand that story because then at the end, uh, Kanji came out and they're doing this story of unifying the titles that Alex Windsor and Kanji are going are gonna to have a babyface versus babyface fight and they're going to unite these titles. But there's a little bit of tension between them. You know, it's, it's not quite going as smoothly as that. And I think that story's fine. But I really don't understand why Alex Windsor couldn't just beat Mercedes Blaze. Why couldn't we just have it as a territory heel of the month style story? That Mercedes Blaze has come out, she's got a, a win against Maya Matthews, who don't forget is Alex Windsor's protege. So there's that connection there. And yet for some reason, she then loses the match herself on purpose. To me, there's just no logic to this. She would just really try and beat Alex Windsor, surely. Beat her and then get the title. Why was this not just a title match? Why was it a non... What's the point? What's the advantage of doing it this way? Alex Windsor... You know, Mercedes Blaze looked really good in that Maya Matthews match. It was feasible that she would get a title shot. And then it was feasible that Alex Windsor would look much, much better by beating Mercedes Blaze. And then later on, after the Jacob, when you want to heat Mercedes Blaze up again, that's fine. She's still really good. Heat her up again. 
I don't understand why they overbook this. The women's division in Red Pro does not need overbooking. You do not have the resources to overbook at the minute. Yet you have the resources to tell really good, solid pro wrestling stories. And you're not doing it, and I don't get it. Mercedes Blaze, yeah, I wouldn't make him a champion either. I just thought I just thought that was a really bizarre thing to do. I think it was all moving in the right direction, and then it was just that typical. He does it four or five times a year with different stories, Andy, where he'll just book the shit out of something. Do you know what I mean? He'll really book its ass off, and he just needs to calm himself down a little bit. And this sometimes the simplest story is the best story. There were actually a couple of matches that we need to point out from before the Super J Cup that I thought were really good. One will be of absolutely no surprise to anyone. Leon Slater against Robbie X. It was amazing. You know, the natural confidence of Leon Slater is he's brilliant. You know, and Robbie X was the perfect man to put him over. And when you look at the pieces that they've moved around on this build-up to the J-Cup, they've done a really, really good job. Leon Slater looked amazing, you know, in the main event. And he, I tell you what, if you're the sort of person that doesn't like, you know, gifts and stuff, who doesn't like exciting wrestling, this isn't for you. But if you're a normal person who likes exciting stuff and fast action, that Leon Slater-Robbie X match is one to watch. I think... Robbie X is ready to go. I think he's he's been an absolute MVP for Red Pro. And now they've lost Osprey and Aussie Open. I think there's some spaces open for him to move his way up. I love the fact that this match kind of broke structure a little bit. You know, it wasn't... There was dives hinted at. People went outside, but there wasn't the dive straight away. They'd climb out and do something a little bit more interesting. I know that sounds like a really... I'm, I'm not explaining that very well. But I hope you know what I mean. Whereas it feels like in these high-flying matches sometimes, there's a very definite and set structure. And what they were able to do here is really mess with it and do something that were a little bit more um, interesting. And I like the fact they're putting Leon Slater in positions where he can learn to main event. And I tell you what as well, with this show in particular, they're developing a little bit of a style now, Red Pro. A slight shift, I think. And the m- matches never stop. This match never, ever turned down the speed at any point. It was just pace on pace on pace. And I absolutely love that about it. And I I really like the commentary during this as well, actually. Often Andy's commentary is, is good. The audio issues are always there and they're still there with this. But I think what Andy gets is just these little moments. Like he's talking about the Jacob, obviously, during this. He's, he's building to it. And he's talking about stuff like host venues. You know, that he was hosted in Manchester. He was hosting, hosted in Southampton. In fact, actually, I was at the one in Manchester. It was at Bowlers and it was part of this weird... It, I don't think it was for the love of wrestling, but it was that sort of thing. And I couldn't go to the weekend. I could only go to one night. And the Red Pro did a show there. And I went to the show. I was with my mate Dan, who who doesn't like wrestling. Um, who listens to this podcast, though. So, hiya, Dan. I hope you're all right. Congratulations on your on your uh, new arrival. He's uh, he's just got a load of Age of Sigma, which I'm really impressed with. So, congratulations. Um, and we went to this wrestling show. And we, we it was it was busy. I think it was pretty much sold out. And we see out the corner of our eye none other 
than NXT UK's own T-Bone. And he demanded of a young boy who was there, you know, Red Pro had the, the, the ring crew, clearly from the Portsmouth School of Wrestling or whatever. And he demanded that one of them young boys got him and his, I assume his girlfriend or his wife, a seat to sit on. And it was in kind of the middle of the corner bit. Do you know, like, at each side of the ring, you've got blocks of seats and there's sometimes, like, going out from the corner of the ring, there's that big space. And he was sat right in the middle of that in a really obvious way. And he, he clearly wanted to look like he'd been, he demanded a seat and he was he was there. Everyone could see him. And he, you know, this was during a Juicy and Liger match as well. So Juicy and Liger, so this was like a really big deal. And then we looked over about 15 minutes later and he just left. So he he demanded that these seats were brought out for him and his wife, and I think a, a kid. And then just left about, you know, 10 minutes later. Didn't even want to watch it. Didn't want to watch Juicy and Liger. Maybe that's why he didn't do anything in NXT UK. Don't know good wrestling when he sees it. Uh, there were a few other good bits on the build-up to the J-Cup. Uh, Zack Knight in particular. I have to say, I I really getting into Zack Knight. And we'll talk about a match post-J-Cup as well that I noticed some things I liked about him. But I really think Zack Knight is someone who they should keep around. He replaced uh, Ricky Knight Jr. It should have been shown to Amino against Ricky Knight Jr. And we ended up with... Um, Zack Knight because I, I think he was ill I can't remember what happened now it was a while ago but Zack Knight didn't let us down and he could really tell that story of he he's someone who's been down and out but he's looked into this opportunity he's found himself in this place where he didn't think he would ever be and he didn't really have much of a chance of winning but he could play that underdog and he is a competent wrestler and he, he you know he goes to the strikes he'll try and wrestle but then he realizes his, his strength is in fighting and scrapping and he looks like someone who's a fighter and a scrapper which makes a big difference he, he can really play that role so I was really impressed with Zach Knight and I think as a gatekeeper style role, as a veteran hand to have around, as someone to use in situations like this when Zach Knight, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Ricky Knight Jr. can't be there, really worthwhile. He's somebody who I was, I was really, really impressed with. Um, so I think that's pretty much it. There was a few weird things on the build-up. Like, it seems like Sunshine Machine are on the way out. You know, it was Luke Jacobs against TK Cooper, uh, which, was you know, was just good wrestlers being good. I really liked it. Uh, and again, there's just, there was this feeling on the build of just constant energy all the way through. You know, they, they really picked up the pace of the wrestling that I really liked. I really like Ricky Knight Jr. against J.J. Gale as well from Risky Business. I think J.J. Gale is fantastic. I think in some circles, he's being left behind by some of his teammates. You know, there's this, um, this group of wrestlers that are coming up, these young wrestlers like uh, Prince of Pace and like Joe Lando and um, Callum Newman. I forgot Prince of Pace. <laughs> like Callum, you know, they're, they're coming up. And I think they're finding a little bit of a corny charisma that JJ Gale isn't. And I think that means that people like Callum Newman are getting over a little bit more, but JJ Gale is the one with the talent. I think, you know, the, his... Twisting, spinning cutter is one of the best things in wrestling at the moment. I think he's he's really good. He's obviously got a long way to go, but 
He's really good. And I tell you what I liked about this match as well. We're going to have a think about how RKJ is as champion later on. But what I like about him, that he, he's going back to being the tweener that he was, where he's not quite a babyface and he's not quite a heel, and which weirdly makes him more over as a babyface. I, I don't know if that makes any sense, but he feels like a real person. On the run-up to his championship run, there was a little bit of him leaning a bit more blue-eyed than he should, a bit more kind of pure baby face, the, you know, I'm going to try my best kind of baby face. And that's just not real, is it? It's just it's just not something that happens in real life. So it just jars with me. Whereas here in this match against JJ Gale, he was biting fingers and he was doing things that you would expect Ricky Knight Jr. to do. So it seems for now that the RKJ title run is going to be really positive. So post, uh, sorry, post, pre-Jacob, we've got a really interesting thing. We've got a lot of juniors being pushed, as you'd expect. We've got a shaky Mills and Oku story. And we've got a champion in RKJ. We've got some weird women's wrestling. Well, not weird women. The wrestling was always really good. It was the booking that was strange. But let's talk about the Jacob. Let's go through that. I want to do that one match by match because I, I, I love I love juniors. I love tournaments. Let's talk about the Jacob. We're off to Stevenage. They opened the show with a cool VT about the history of the Jacob, and I, I like that that they were they were playing into people like. Fantasmo and Jushin Liger have won this and Oku's won it. You know, it, it felt like they were trying to elevate the standing of it. And it, I, I like that. I don't think they've ever really done that before or not to this extent. And it, it, it really seemed to work. The only thing that I thought was bit a bit weird is that there were certain people in the VTs who I probably won't put in there, but you know what I'm saying with that one. Um, First up, we had Robbie X against Connor Mills. And the way the tournament works is there's going to be these opening round matches. Uh, there's going to be four of them. And the winner of the match is going to go into the main event, which is a four-way elimination match, which isn't my way of doing it. I'd much rather just do a semi-final and a final, but whatever. Um, it was Robbie X against Connor Mills. Mills has finally got some new gear. And I thought that was really weird about the about the Live at London stuff from a few weeks before, is that he was still wrestling in Destination Everywhere gear. And that says a lot to me. That says you're not fully committing to the story. You, you, you It's not like he's got this amazing new gear. It's just black trunks. I mean, they're very nice. They look velvet. They almost look like a gothic curtain, which I think if you're going to have gear, being inspired by Dracula's boudoir, his pro or Elvira's makeup room, are Robert Smith's backstage Kurt, um, backstage area or um, evil from New Japan's... I'm naming goths. Get in the Discord. Tell me about your favourite goths. Um, I don't think... You know, you could have got them at any point. I don't understand why it took him so long to get this gear, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um we're obviously going to have to kind of tell this story here. And again, Mills seemed to take an extra step into being the really corny heel. You know, he was intimidating the audience. He was, he was, you know, shouting at people. And, got, and it's just like, you're playing the heel here. I don't believe this story 
I, I don't like the way they're doing it. They've gone from, like I say, avoiding cliches as best as they can to just absolutely drowning themselves in them. And I don't like that. I, I think it, it takes away from everything that I loved about the story originally. I just don't understand why Connor Mills would start. And he really turned everything that I said before up to Ted in this match. He's putting his knees onto the back of Robbie X's head and flexing and doing the rake in the eyes and all that stuff. And it's just, this wasn't what you did before. And now you're just saying, I've turned heel. And in a story that was so relatable and real to to signpost that I've turned heel stuff was really detrimental to what they were doing. I really don't like the way they've continued this story. I think they've just gone from being subtle and interesting and real and brilliant to corny and cliche. That's going to, believe me, that I'm going to kick off and prepare yourself. If you don't like me ranting, I'm going to be ranting about something in a minute related to that. You know, it's just, it started here with, oh, he's a baddie now, and we just got to be, we've got to boo him. You know, it's just weird. And it's strange because the back half of this was just Mills against Robbie X, and it was brilliant. The speed of it was amazing. He lost this, Mills, and it's tricky because, spoiler, I, you know, I'm obviously going to reveal this anyway. Robbie X went on to win. So you could sort of make the argument that Mills lost to the person who eventually went on to win the tournament. But I don't know if I'd have had Mills lose yet. I don't know if I would have even had him in the tournament. You know, it was, it just, it didn't sit right with me, especially because he lost, he was doing like a now we play mocking Oku and that's what led to the loss because he got distracted. It was just bizarre. It was just weird to, to do it and it's, like I said with the Mercedes Blaze thing, it's just, Andy seems to be making a lot of these booking decisions at the minute where I think who benefits from this? Robbie X didn't really benefit because Robbie X is amazing anyway. You know, he could beat anybody. He doesn't get over by winning. He gets over by being fantastic. Whereas Mills needs to win because that's the whole point of the story, isn't it? The whole point of the story is that they were losing tag team matches and he blamed Oku. He believed he was just as good as Oku and he could wrestle as well as Oku. So to have him lose in the opening round of a tournament just seems bizarre especially because he threw the victory away himself. It was his arrogance and his cockiness that lost him the match. I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting. I'm not overreacting because I've just looked at my little notebook and I've seen what's next. Oku against Lee Hunter. Oku got attacked by Connor Mills and was battered and thrown from post to post for about five minutes. He was really battered. And I do not get this. This is Quildon booking at its worst. What you find when you love Red Pro as much as I do, it's often like Star Trek. Like, do you know? That's like a really weird analogy. But you know when you watch Star Trek Next Generation, and I love Star Trek Next Generation, but bear, bear with me if you don't, like, you'll get the analogy. For every seven episodes of Star Trek Next Generation, two of them are amazing, three of them are alright, and two are absolute trash. And that's how Quilder books. Two of the stories he tells in a year are amazing, 
Four of them are pretty alright, and two of them are garbage. And this has gone from being one of the best stories in wrestling to being one of the absolute worst. This doesn't relate to the story that was being told. Connor Mills wants to prove he's the better wrestler. He wants to prove that he should have been where Oku was. He doesn't want to prove he can batter Michael Oku when he attacks him from behind. How much of a better story would this be? If, I don't know, an idea, I never fantasy book, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in quick sentences. And these are straight off the top of my head. Mills challenges Oku to a match to prove he's better, but Oku doesn't want to do it because he doesn't want to fight his friend that he wants to make up with him. Is that not better than this? Than attacking people from behind? I thought of that just now. I, I mean, I'm not even saying that's the best idea to run with. I'm not even saying that's what they should have done. But uh, we, I know what they should have done. They should be doing this attacking from behind bollocks. I don't get it. And I get what they were doing because, you know, Lee Hunter came, comes out and he shakes Mill's hand. And then, obviously, Oku overcomes, doesn't he? It looks like he's going to get at, squashed and battered. But Lee Hunter overcomes. And then Lee Hunter wins the match anyway. So they have this story of Oku fighting back and they have this long match. And they set up this story of Oku being able to overcome what Mills has done. And then they don't even tell that story. It's all over the shop. It's like they've got, they've done story darts. They've just got bits of story that you could possibly tell in pro wrestling and put them up against a wall and put darts at it. And I know what you're thinking. The quality of the bell-to-bell is brilliant. All of these matches are good. And I'm so frustrated because this story was almost amazing. And I don't know how I'm going to feel about it. Am I going to be able to just lock this story off and say this story happened until the breakup? I'm not going to be able to because the fallout is just as important and they're messing it up. In fact, Lee Hunter, he won by putting his feet on the ropes in more pro wrestling stuff, more things that happen in pro wrestling. And it is hard to make this criticism because Oku does this so well. He tells these, any story he's got, he tells it to a certain level. And even though this story's going downhill fast, he can still sell it in the ring in a captivating way. But I just don't understand what's going on here. I just don't understand why it's, again, overbooked. They're... They've got a big glass and they're pouring, booking into it. And the glass is overflowing. Stop pouring. Then we had Will Caven against Luke Jacobs. And again, Will Caven needs to calm down. He's like me. He needs to chill out a little bit. The way he's sort of stomping to the ring and he's leaning forward with his with his abs up like a chav strutting. And he's kind of shouting. And you just think, oh, he's, you know, oh, he's, a, oh, he's a rotter. He, he's a really naughty boy. You know, he's like, he's, he's, he's dyed his hair pink and he's put 13 on his ass. And he's, he's, he's going he's gonna to cause some trouble you know I just don't really get it it was rubbish the start of this you know there was the fake count out but Jacob was over when he got to wrestling it was good you know Luke Jacobs doing suplexes and stuff he's always going to be 
he's always going to be absolutely amazing. Um, I have to say, this is such a, a, a horrible thing to say about a wrestling match, but I looked away while I was watching it. I ended up looking at... <laughs> my phone contract is up. So I'm looking like at reviews of phones because I kind of switched off halfway through this. And then I missed the finish. So I thought, oh, well, I should go back and at least watch the finish. So I did, and then just kind of wished I hadn't because he botched the move, Will Caven. So this was Will Caven's worst match, probably, that he's had in Red Pro at the most important point. Um, next, we had Leon Slater against Leo Rush. My issue with this match is that at the start, they did things like rock, paper, scissors. And there was this bit, you know, that crowd kind of play. And I really despise the import attitude. You know, Leo Rush is clearly here for a payday. He clearly thinks I've been flown to another country because I'm a big star. And you know when that happens with wrestlers, you can feel it in the work, can't you? Not with every wrestler. A lot of wrestlers come to work and they come with the working boots on. But with some, there's a little bit of a sneer and a little bit of a, a cocky smirk. And Leo Rush had that. That I don't have to take bumps straight away. I can play rock paper scissors and he, he did take some bumps you know there was a great beat down in this and it was appropriate to let leon slater make the comeback because he needs to get over of you know over as the underdog but he was just the whole thing with the rock paper scissors and the playing to crowd playing to the crowd just didn't he just didn't really need to happen you could have just had a match and i think that benefits everybody better you know, you don't want Leon Slater to look like he beat import mess around Leo Rush. I want to see Leon Slater beat Leo Rush. Just a little bit of a... I, I don't know. He, he just... He, I, I don't like that sort of thing, especially as a ticket buyer as well. Like, I've gone to watch the match myself. I want to... And I'm paid to see Leo Rush. I want to see Leo Rush. I don't want to see someone larking around. Oh, next we were treated to a promo by Gideon Gray which is always a treat. It was barely audible, though. The sound on this show was awful. The shows that they did live, because they put the live feed up, so you could... I didn't watch them live, but I could see what it was like. The shows that they did live, the sound was really, really good. Yet, for, somehow, when it's been edited and mixed, it was awful. The commentary for this show was barely audible. It was like, I've said this before about RevPro production, but it's like watching a match with someone talking in the room and you can't quite hear what they're saying. And it's just agitating. And it was the same with this Gideon Grey promo. I had to turn the telly up to be able to hear what he was saying. It was bizarre. Then we had a couple of things outside the Jacob. We had uh, the Legion against Eddie Dennis, Madkurt and RKJ. Uh, Nathan Cruz is in the Legion now. And it really got me thinking, you know, because Lucian Phillips is all right. And obviously, Yota Suji is fantastic. We talked about that Ishii match. I'm going to talk about a Suzuki match later on in the show. I think the Legion is Gideon Gray, though, isn't it? And if you don't have Gideon Gray, it all just seems a bit stupid. What Gideon Gray is brilliant at is taking... He's the Rick Mail of wrestling. He's brilliant at taking something that's utterly ridiculous and making it entertaining. And all these people like Lucian Phillips and then Nathan Cruz, now he's, he's doing it, are kind of just 
bit players in that. They're kind of supporting the Gideon Gray show. And that's not to say you can't use a Lucian Phillips and you can't use a Nathan Cruz. I mean, I, I probably wouldn't use Nathan Cruz, to be honest. I think he's, I think he's fine. He's all right. But without Gideon Gray, it all just kind of falls apart. So obviously we've got Mad Kurt in this, and it's going to be comedy. And I've I've turned a bit of a corner on Mad Kurt. I think he's all right. I think if you're keeping him in comedy matches and you know what you're getting, I think it's fine. But he just he's never going to be for me, is it? There's a couple of spots in this that I quite liked about he he would he does this slap now Mad Kurt where he he does this he shushes the crowd and then gives like this really kind of girly that's I'm not being sexy like stereotypically girly kind of overhand slap that doesn't hurt and then RKJ came in and, and did a harder one and stuff like that. I thought it was you know it was good. I just think. I'm going to say something very, very old-fashioned here. I don't know if you agree with me, but I'm not convinced that RKJ, the champion, should be involved in this sort of thing. I don't know if your champion should be in the midst of comedy multi-man tags. Because I don't know what his programme is at the minute, RKJ. I know it's been challenged a little bit by the Shota Amino match didn't happen. I think, is it is he building up to a match with Yota Suji? But it, it just, they didn't really tell that story here. So it was all, it was the Mad Kurt show, which is fine if you like that sort of thing, but it just didn't really work here. Next up, I think if we're going to talk about another big miss from Andy Quilden, I think this is one. And I don't know who's to blame for this. It might be the wrestlers involved. It might be the booking. I'm not sure. But Dan Malone against against Minoru Suzuki. I was super, super excited for this match. I made absolutely no secret about how much I love Dan Maloney. He's this jacked-up, beefy chav who batters people. And that speaks to what I like about wrestling. And Minoru Suzuki is the Japanese equivalent. He's this this rough and ready, always ready for a fight, wants to batter people. You know, he's just absolutely captivating. And the idea that these two would come together was salivating for me. And I'm seeing Dan Maloney in the ring, and he came to the ring, as he always does, really confident and jacked up. And he stood with his back to the hard cam. The lights were still off, but there was light coming from screens. It was kind of like an off, like a weird silhouette of him. He's got a very distinctive silhouette as well, Dan Maloney. And he's watching, and then the opening notes of Kaze Nina Ray start playing. And you know that Dan Maloney is forcing himself to be confident. He's, he's absolutely committed to battering this guy and putting himself on the map and testing him. And I was so, so into it. And then the match started. And obviously people were cheering for Suzuki because I've said this before, a Suzuki entrance and a Suzuki match is something I believe every wrestling fan should experience live at least once. And he starts turning to the crowd, Dan Maloney, and saying, they're not your fans, they're my fans. And lifting his arms up on the ropes and everyone booed and then Suzuki turned to the crowd and everyone cheered. 
And I realised when that happened that this wasn't going to be what I thought it was going to be. And in a way, it wasn't what I was promised. And, and there's good bits about this match. But there were too many times where there'd just be lazy headlocks and really corny selling from Maloney. Like he'd sort of fall on his bum with a ooh expression on his face, like a camp expression. They'd repeat spots too many times. This isn't Rev Pro. I, I just there's there's something I've I've written about this before, but a philosopher called Pierre Bourdieu, Pierre Bourdieu. Don't switch off because I've said philosophy. You're not too clever for it. We can all learn from this sort of thing. And he came up with this idea of cultural capital. And what cultural capital is is the rules of the game in the field in which you're playing. And what that means is is that the people who advance in a particular field aren't always the people that are the best in that field. So, for example, think about your work. Are all the bosses and managers where you work the most competent people and best at the job? Or are there people who knew how to play the game and work their way up? And every situation, every field we exist in has that. And that's established by the field. So the field of progress is that you're going to be a Reddit poster who smirks and sneers and, and makes stupid jokes all the time and thinks they're absolutely hilarious and has a beard and wears a trucker cap and wears van shoes. And the cultural capital of RevPro is that you want proper wrestling. You don't want the corny stuff. You don't want the playing to the crowd nonsense, the, you know, cheering and booing. And especially when you put someone like Suzuki in the mix and Dan Maloney in the mix, that just compounds those rules. And because this match broke those rules and expectations, I just left it feeling really unsatisfied. And it was, you know, it was just... Maybe it was a victim of expectations. Maybe this is a really fancy way of saying that. But it was just strange to see that the match was done like this. Why couldn't we just have had? Because they were really hitting each other at certain points in this. And, you know, really chopping and really laying things into each other. So what I don't understand is why we didn't just have a really quick, violent match. It was quite long, this match, and it could have been a lot shorter. I just I just don't understand why they didn't speak to what RevPro is and what RevPro fans watch RevPro for. Especially with a match that feels like it's been designed for RevPro fans. A home RevPro guy against Minoru Suzuki. That feels like it 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 almost you can almost hear what that match is saying. You can almost hear what that match wants to be. And they just didn't really allow it to be that. So, yeah, I'm just really disappointed with it, to be honest with you. I just thought it was a bit a bit strange. Story creep. I think that's what I'm going to call it. That's what Andy suffers from. Story creep. That he doesn't... Sometimes you just need to do the simple thing. Sometimes we just want to watch Maloney and Suzuki batter each other. We don't have to do the silliness. Then we're on to the final, and to be honest with you, the final four-way elimination match, Robbie X, Leon Slater, Will Caven, and Lee Hunter, and it was exactly what you'd expect. It was the Robbie X show. 
It was just constant speed. It was Robbie X being the star of every spot he was in. And he won the Super J Cup. And he, uh, Super J Cup, he won the British J Cup. And he absolutely deserved to. I think what they want to do is probably start, we'll talk about this more in a minute, but they want to start moving uh, Luke Jacobs back into the tag team division, move him away from the cruiserweight division, especially because when Luke Jacob comes out, people are chanting um, he weighs what he wants now, which is a little bit strange, but you know, he's kind of exposing a little bit and they probably want to kind of move away from that. And he's got his tag team, Ethan Allen's back, so they probably want to move him into the tag team. And Robbie X is just fantastic. Put a belt on him, put him against the imports, put him against the up-and-coming young wrestlers who was cruiserweights, put him against anyone and he'll have an amazing match. He's got even better, I think, Robbie X. There's this, he's always done hurricanas, but there's one that he the way he does it now, he goes from a full sprint to a full leg forward dive into a hurricane rana, and it looks incredible. I don't know how he gets better at doing these things. I am all in on Robbie X. He's got charisma now. He did a promo at the uh, end of the, I think it was Live Alone 65. It might have been risky, but the Leon Slater match. And he did a promo, and he's even good at promos now. He used to be shocking at promos, but he's good at them. I'm so in on Robbie X. I, I love watching him. I think he's absolutely superb. Wouldn't make him a main champion, but I'd make him a secondary champion and I'd have him rested on every show doing exciting things. So that's the Jacob show. Bit of a weird one. Lots of stories spinning that I'm not quite sure are landing or staying on the pole to carry on with the analogy. But let's have a look at the fallout. Because we could all have little slips and the in-ring wrestling's been good. So let's go to the next Live in London show and see how things played out. So we're back in the cockpit, which I, I love, by the way. I think as a venue, I've never been. And I, I really want to give it to London, isn't it? You, 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 I'm going to be that typical northern grump that thinks about going down to London, then looks at the prices of trains and just thinks, I can't justify that. I've, I've wondered, let me know if you travel from up north and go to these London shows, because I really want to know how you do it. Because I've thought about staying in a hotel, maybe like Essex, you know, somewhere where you can park for free, but it's on an easy enough train line for getting in. I, I don't know how, but if you if you do it, let me know, without staying in London, preferably. Um, well, yeah, the venue's great and the crowd are really great. Um, we had Live in London 66, and again, we continued this Mercedes Blaze thing where she beat Lucia Lee. And it, it feels like we're getting back on the Mercedes Blaze train. And that, to me, just really compounds what happened before the Jacob. It, what I was saying, really, that it was just a really bizarre way of telling this story. You've sort of really took the heat off Mercedes Blaze in a lot of ways. A, by losing, which, by the way, is inevitable. I don't think you should have this bizarre 50-50 thing. You know, we should... She should be able to lose, and you can heat people back up. But you've also took the heat off her because she lost by being stupid by hitting the champion with the belt. So it's just really strange. And Lucia Lee's inexperienced. She was she was okay here. She's not great. She's not somebody who's impressed me by any stretch. So it just felt having a competitive match against her 
again, I, 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 I get what they're trying to do with Mercedes, Blaze. I can see the boxes that they're trying to tick, but they're just sort of asking me to pretend they've been ticked without actually ticking them, if that's not too complicated an analogy. Mercedes Blaze is, is, is really strange. And they got the... What was weird about this? They got the entrance music the wrong way around. But I would argue that you came out the wrong way around in that case. If Mercedes Blaze heard her music first, why didn't she just go out first? I think that looks better than coming out to the wrong entrance music, surely. But, you know, what do I know? Now we're going to go on to a really weird booking decision. And again, these beats and these plot points, it feels like we're just missing them. Robbie X has just won the Super J... I keep calling it the Super J Cup. The British J Cup. That is prestigious in and of itself. But what it also does is it gives you a title opportunity. And Luke Jacobs has laid out the challenge to him at the end of the, the J Cup show. We know Robbie X is going on to face Luke Jacobs. But Leo Rush beat him here. Don't really understand. I understand the argument from Robbie X's point of view that he could get over no matter what. And it's not necessarily Robbie X's win-loss record that's got him over. It's his amazing wrestling and unearthly talent and speed. But at the same time, if you're building someone to have a champ uh, to challenge for a belt, why are they losing? If you wanted to book Leo Rush, fine, book him against someone you can beat. It doesn't really matter. I, I don't get it. Especially because there was a weird distraction finish with this. Like, Will Caven came out and distracted Leo Rush, uh, sorry, distracted Robbie X, which led Leo Rush to be able to get the pin. And, you know, Will Caven was maniacally laughing in the background because he's a heel, isn't he? Because that's what heels do. They do distractions, but they don't, do they? Not good heels. Rubbish heels and boring wrestling stories have heels come out and distract and we have cackles. So they beat him, and they didn't even beat him in an interesting way. It was just it was just a really bizarre thing, and we're seeing this a lot now at the minute from Red Pro, of just telling really simple stories, but like we say, overbooking them, overthinking things, doing too much. Would Leo, did you really need to give Leo Rush his heat back? Because he lost at the J-Cup. And if Leo Rush ain't going to do the G-O-B... Which I, I, I'm, I'm speculating with that. I don't know anything. But if he isn't going to do the J-O-B, get someone else. Do we really need Leo Rush? He's Leo Rush a draw, really. Don't get me wrong. I He's an interesting addition to a show. He's not someone who I complain about seeing. But he's not someone who I'm ever going to look at a show and go, oh yeah, this one needs a bit of Leo Rush. Just really bizarre. Like, goes on with a lot of bizarre booking choices, um... On this, on this uh, last few weeks. Then we've got Caven uh, and the Smoking Aces against Mad Kurt, Ricky Knight Jr. and Zack Knight. And again, this was another comedy match that I was never going to really enjoy. Um, and But I kind of like what they're doing here with this. And I get, this is... I'm not, I, I know I've descended into just talking about matches again. But there was this moment with Zack Knight where he's looking at Mad Kurt 
And Ricky Knight Jr. is is getting involved in this. And Zack Knight is turning to him and saying, you're the champion. I really like this idea of having Ricky Knight Jr. getting carried away with being champion. That he's elated and, you know, there's someone like Mad Kurt who's really funny. And he's doing these multi-man tags where he's dominating and he's winning easily. And he's forgetting what that belt represents. And he's got the serious veteran, Zack Knight, there to remind him. His uncle. His role model. Someone who he looks up to. To say, sort yourself out. You're not a little boy anymore. You're a champion. Act like one. And I quite like that story. So I'm a little bit conflicted about that. Whether I want Ricky Knight Jr. in this sort of mad Kurt mess. Because if you think about times we've reviewed Mad Kurt matches, the times I like Mad Kurt the best are the times where he's wrestling people like um, Matt Cardona, where you can really fully go in to that comedy and that silliness. So it's a funny one. I, I don't know where I stand on it. I'm going to have to kind of wait and see with that one. I mean, overall, the match was was fine. You know, it wasn't anything to to um to write home about. But then at the end, they've done uh <laughs> they've set up a match between Mad Kurt and Zack Knight, which is again, I'm just really glad to see Zack Knight get bookings. I think he really impressed me at the New Japan show. Not that I think he should be a star or or competing for for championships or anything like that, but I think he's somebody who we should have around. I, I hope that these last few months have have given him have shown people that he should have that opportunity. Then we had Greedy Souls against Sunshine Machine. Greedy Souls, Made in Stone, Danny Jones, all Japan's own Danny Jones and Brendan White against Sunshine Machine. And Sunshine Machine lost. TK Cooper had a match against Luke Jacobs at the Live in London show just before the Jacob. And he lost that. And then they've lost the tag team belts. So it seems like Sunshine Machine are being written out quite definitively. And again, they've done it properly this time. They've put a couple of people over. They've been defeated fair and square and clean. They didn't look easy in this match with Greedy Souls. Don't get me wrong, it was by no means squash. But it seems like Sunshine Machine are going away for a little bit. And in a way, I'm kind of glad about that. And I, I like Sunshine Machine. I, th- I think they're good. But that being said, they've the, the tag team division isn't really what it should be. And it's very much, it's very stale. And it really took everything they had to do the Great British Tag League. And we saw Sunshine Machine a lot. And they work everywhere, to be fair. You watch most British promotions and they're there. But I just think it's time for Red Pro to have a little bit of a break. And I'm glad that Andy's recognised that. And I hope that doesn't come across with me saying that I'm bored of them or I'm sick of them. Because I'm not. But I can feel that I'm I'm approaching that point with Sunshine Machine. And I really don't want to. Because I think they're really, really good. Interesting that Greedy Souls have won. I like Greedy Souls. I've, they've not really done a great deal in Red Pro. So it's interest, It's going to be interesting to see what they do together. Especially now they're champions and, and, and who they face and how they do. But they're, they're big lads who wrestle well. And I think it's, it's going to be a really interesting 
interesting run. I hope they get an opportunity on bigger stages. I hope we see them in, you know, York Hall and places like that. But I can't wait. Then we had Suzuki against Yota Suji. And I'm going to labour a point that I made a few shows ago and earlier on in this very show and say that everybody, if you like wrestling, everybody should experience a Minoru Suzuki entrance and match at least once. He is one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And so much of it, so, so much of it is down to his presence and his attitude and his aura. I have never been at a match with Minoru Suzuki in and felt anything but overwhelmed. He's just a stunning wrestling presence. And I really, and maybe I'm over-egging the pudding, I really think if you get the chance, you should go and see him. And let's be honest, he's in his 50s. He's not getting any younger. If you're going to go and see him, you need to go and see him soon. Really interesting match here again, you know, with Yota Suji. Yota Suji has been, I think, fantastic on this excursion. He's had a bit more of a low key excursion. Um, you know, Shota uh, Umino got a lot of accolades early on that he really struggled to live up to as it went on. Yota Suji's been a bit of a slow burn. You know, there was that thing of he was supposed to go to Mexico and he got changed at the last minute and he's, he's sort of just plodded away a little bit. He didn't have, obviously, the Death Rider. He didn't have that thing that Shota Umino had behind him already, you know, that love and that adoration and that desire for him to do well. But what he's done over the months that he's been here, he's slowly built this character that he plays so well of just a cocky asshole. His smile and his grin is fantastic. And if you put it in this match where he's doing it, it's <laughs> he's doing it. To, Yota, to Minoru Suzuki says it all doesn't it he's got this arrogance and this cockiness about him that's great he had a great match against um, Ishii and he had a really good match here against Suzuki I thought it was great you know thing. I, I, ju- I just think I, I, I can criticise corny booking until the cows come home but there's something about Minoru Suzuki picking up a chair and screaming that I will always find captivating. I will always love that, as long as I live. They were wandering around outside doing slaps, and they were able to keep it a little bit more appropriate to the audience, I thought. There wasn't the corniness that the Dan Maloney thing got. I have to say, you know, I was talking about the commentary. There was a bit in this where Suji was laid out, I can't remember who was on commentary for this show, but he was a bit progress. You know, he had a bit, like he'd say, corny, cheesy things that were just sort of things commentators say without any real explanation. And Suji was laid out. And there was the, this is the most Andy Quill, the British moment ever. And I absolutely loved it. Suji was laid out. And this corny progress S line this guy delivered was, uh, do you want to see a dead body? You know, as if to say, <laughs> <laughs> and Andy Quilden says, almost under his breath, he goes, well, I'd rather not. 
<laughs> just, like, he just took what was being said on face value and responded in the most British way. And I thought it was brilliant. That gave the match an extra three stars for me. I gave it nine stars. <laughs> just, I gave that joke nine stars, I should say. I didn't give the match six stars. I don't, I don't break the scale. I'm not that silly. You know, they were just they, they just slapped each other. And sometimes you can be as jaded as me. You can overthink things. You can be critical and pernickety. You can break things down to a level that they don't really need. But sometimes watching Minoru Suzuki slap people is good enough. And this was good enough for me. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So that's Red Pro. We've had a little bit of a overarching look at them. And it's it's funny with Red Pro, isn't it? Because they go through very distinct phases. And I like that about them. Like, we've just left a phase that was, um, I suppose, dominated by Aussie Open and Will Ospreay. And because of circumstances, they're ready to, they have to leave. And Quilden is always ready to elevate people. And he's elevated Ricky Knight Jr. really well. I'm seeing some grumblings about him being in comedy matches. And I do share them. But I think there's enough there for me to still be invested. But there's definitely been a few shaky booking decisions, haven't there? Like that weird stuff with Mercedes Blaze. There's a bit of a question mark over Will Caver, I think, or whether he's a little bit too corny for the position that he's in. They beat Robbie X really quickly after he won the Super J Cup. Can you hear the glee in my voice, though? You know what I mean? I know I ranted and raved, especially about the Mills Oku story. We can put that to one side for now. But there's just something about this company that I enjoy thinking about. And I, I, I you know it's going to swing back. You know, it always does. Rev Pro is just this... This constant pendulum is where it'll go and it'll sort of swing all the way one way into bad booking, and you know it's going to swing back, and you're going to get a York Hall show with a five star match on it. So, you know, let's not be, you know, too dramatic about this. But yeah, that's Red Pro. I can't wait to see what happens next, and you know we'll be covering it on Eurograps Express. Shall we wrap things up? As I was recording this, uh, they've just announced the next 1PW show lineup. Have a listen to this lineup, right? We've got Taya Valkyrie against Tonga, right? <laughs> and then we've got the Rascals against Mad Like Darius and Leon Slater, which, yeah, I've been, I've been on that one. We've got the main event, or I assume the main event, of Will Ospreay against Robbie X. Like, I'm all in on that. Like, that's a match I want to see. I'm, I'm sure I've seen it at some point. But yeah, them two in a main event all day long. And then this Carve Noir against Davy Richards. What a letdown. Carve Noir against Dave. I want to see Davy Richards against Luke Jacobs. I am kind of tempted by this show, though. 18th of February in uh, Lincoln. How far away is Lincoln from Salford? Let's Google it live on air. Let's create the most boring audio. <laughs> no to man. Whereas I go on AA route checker. I don't even use Google Maps because I'm an old man. So, no, I use Google Maps. Let's say where Lincoln is. How far away is Lincoln? 
Salford to Lincoln. Let's have a look. Directions. Couple of hours. It's like just past Sheffield, isn't it? Towards like Boston and Mablethorpe. Places like that. Places where you go to Haven holiday camps. Um, I think we should go. Saturday 18th of... Oh, no. It's my wife's birthday on the 20th. Do you think she'd want to go and watch No Turning Back? Hey, Rhino's there, though. Rhino's on the pod. Maybe if I tell her Rhino's there, a Ruby Riot, she might get excited. You know, you never know. What's more important, making my wife happy or watching Robbie X against um, Will Ospreay live? Don't know. It's tricky, that one, isn't it? Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this deep dive into Rev Pro. It's something that I like, as I say, I like to do every now and then, just as a bit of an exercise for myself, really, because I think if you're the sort of person who loves thinking about wrestling and being critical about wrestling, they give you so much to sink your teeth into, so much to think about, that it's always worthwhile. And I've learned a lot about how pro wrestling stories from them, even when they're doing it wrong. I think the only thing that's bugging me, really bugging me, is the way this Mills Oku story is going. It's just not going in an interesting direction at all. So, I don't know. I think it's something that we're going to have to keep a bit of an eye on. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Don't forget, as I said at the start, get in the Discord. The Eurograps Express room is the friendliest room in the whole server there's loads of cool people in there talking about cheese and robot wars and other stuff from the 90s so if that sounds like you're well i just realized i, I don't think cheese is from the 90s by the way <laughs> I, said, I don't think cheese is just from the 90s I, i'm aware that cheese is eternal and it's the only true friend we, we we really have isn't it um so have a lovely fortnight and i'll see you again in a couple of weeks i think we're gonna have to go back to passion pro see you later Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of all Japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.